So again, good morning, uh, 59th Street family. For those who are joining us a little later, we welcome you here again. And as we move forward today in our sermon series, The New Kingdom, we reach one of my favorite parts in Acts because it gives us a glimpse of what it means to be in God's kingdom and what it means for God's kingdom to come. And for me, this new kingdom reminds me a lot of my early childhood and my own personal wishes and desires. So I'll tell you a little bit about my childhood later on, uh, but one of my greatest wishes and desires is to recreate the show Seinfeld, but in real life. Um, some of you may know that I'm an absolute fan of Seinfeld. I adore Seinfeld. Um, I watched it growing up. I found it to be absolutely hilarious and relatable even till today. Uh, but the one thing about Seinfeld that always stuck out to me uh, was Jerry's apartment. In every episode, literally every single episode, you would either see George, Lane, or Kramer, they would walk into Jerry's apartment pretty much as if it was their own, especially Kramer, who would steal food regularly uh, from Jerry's refrigerator. And if they weren't all at Jerry's apartment, uh, they'd be sharing a meal together uh, at the diner where they would share their troubles with one another or just talk and have fun. And that dream and that vision has always stuck with me. Um, I always wanted my house, my place, to be a place where my friends can drop by at any time and do whatever they want. I want them to treat my house as if it was theirs. In fact, last Tuesday, uh, one of my best friends, he was just buying grocery around the neighborhood and he just decided to pop over and cook dinner. And on Thursday, another one of my close friends, he gave me a call in the morning to ask if I was home. And suddenly, 30 minutes later, he appeared at, at my doorstep with his work laptop, and we just worked together for eight hours. But besides my love for Seinfeld, one of my greatest motivations for opening up my home um, is actually based on today's passage that we're about to read. And it shows us an image of what God's kingdom will be like. And it also shows us an image of what this new life and a new lifestyle that we can all enjoy and live right now at this moment. Maybe not exactly at this moment because of COVID, but it's a life that embodies true fellowship, true service, and true obedience. And so today's passage comes from Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. So let's read it together. And it reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I, if you guys don't know, this is possibly my, my favorite passage, most favorite passage in Acts. Now the backdrop for exactly what is going on here 
Um, it shows us right before this passage occurs, and it shows us an image of Peter addressing a crowd in Jerusalem. And this is exactly after the Holy Spirit came on the disciples for the first time. And at that point, um, a lot of the Jews, they're criticizing and asking Peter, like, is this man drunk? And so Peter addresses this crowd, and Scripture says that the people who heard them, who heard Peter, was cut to their hearts. And he asked Peter, after he explained to them the gospel, he asked Peter, what shall we do? And so Peter tells them this. Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. And after the call to repent and to be baptized, Scripture tells us that 3,000 new believers were added to their number that very day. And so the logical question for the readers is, well, what happens next to these 3,000 new believers in Christ? And in our passage today, we see that as these 3,000 new believers were now added into God's family and into the body of Christ, these new believers devoted themselves to four things. And it's clear that for these new Christians, their faith in Christ and their belief, it wasn't just a passing hobby or, or just a new fad in Judaism, but we see that their entire hearts, their souls, and their minds, they were entirely devoted to these four practices. So what are these four practices? Well, let's take a look at our first sermon point today, true fellowship. Now, what does true fellowship entail? Well, from our reading, we see that these new believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we could probably go through each four, and I could probably spend an entire sermon talking about each one of them, uh, but I'll try my best to keep it brief for you all today. But the first thing we see is that these new believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They realized that as they stepped into this new life in Christ, that they had to be disciples. They had to know what ethical, what practical, and what theological teachings Christ taught to his disciples while he was still here on earth. So questions like, well, what did Christ teach about the kingdom of God? What did Christ teach about sin and salvation? What did Christ teach about love and mercy, specifically about God's love? And mercy. But the thing is, to be discipled and to learn the answers to these questions would first require a discipler, right? In order for the disciples to learn about these things, they had to hear it from someone who would teach them, and they heard it from Christ. It would require someone who wants to nurture the seeds of the Gospels planted in these new believers' hearts. So one of the first devotions we see in true fellowship is discipleship. And that is where we teach, guide, and we spur each other on in our own spiritual growths. The second and third devotion, they're quite closely linked in true fellowship. And what is this second and third point or second and third devotion? It is fellowship and sharing a meal. 
And sometimes the first thing we think of when we think of fellowship is about spending quality time uh, with a fellow brother or sister in Christ. That, of course, is fellowship, but there's actually a deeper meaning to the word fellowship. In Greek, uh, the word for fellowship can be translated as koinonia, which has a very specific overtone on the idea of sharing. And so more than just hanging out with friends, the fellowship we see in Acts chapter 2 is really about sharing and generosity, whether that is a shared activity or shared material needs or even a shared meal, like the third devotion. We see that fellowship is about loving each other and demonstrating that love through our sharing. But the last devotion, the fourth devotion we see in true fellowship, is the new believers devoted themselves to communal prayer, which is a major theme we actually see throughout Acts. Um, when you flip through the book, whether it's the believers praying for Peter as he was in prison, or Ananias praying for Saul right before he became Paul, um, you can hardly go through the book of Acts without encountering a community of believers praying or praising God. And the reason why prayer was such a big part of the church in Acts is that they realized that they were totally dependent on God's direction. See, after joining into this new family, after being baptized into the Spirit and now belonging to a new kingdom, they realized that God's family of people, they do not work by their own egos, they don't work by their own feelings. They don't work by their own intuitions. They realized it's not just about prospering this new organization or this new church through their own wits and through their own creativity, but rather they realized that prayer is all about actively submitting themselves to the Lord's direction, since they are the church and the body of Christ. And for the early church, this is what true fellowship entailed. True fellowship entailed discipling one another, giving one, uh, each other words of encouragement and words of admonishment when needed. But true fellowship is more than just teaching and discipling. True fellowship also entailed generous sharing from a heart of love, whether that is sharing one's own resources, uh, which I'll get to in a moment uh, for my second sermon point, or even sharing a meal together. And true fellowship cannot be considered fellowship without their last devotion, without prayer. For it is through prayer that we as a church and as a body can have fellowship with our Lord. And so as we move forward into our passage, we see that Luke he decides to focus a little more closely on, on the second and third aspects of true fellowship. We see Luke describing a heart of love and generosity, which is our second sermon point today, true service. So what does true service entail? We've just finished true fellowship. And in our passage, as we take a look in Luke chapter, uh, sorry, not Luke chapter, in Acts chapter two, verses 44 to 45, we see Luke describing how this community would serve each other. And he says in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. 
And from the first time I read this verse, I remember I was, I was probably on a subway train while reading this, um, it always fascinated me. It always, it always gave me this weird sense of, of hope. Because we see that the disciples and the new believers, they would share everything they own. They realized that nothing they had was legitimately theirs, but they, held, but they rather held everything as common between them. They would consider even their own property as common. And what always surprises me is how different biblical culture is and how different biblical values are when compared to our contemporary culture and our contemporary values. At least from what I know, uh, living, living in contemporary culture, it teaches us that what we own, what we have accomplished, and what we have achieved are our highest priorities. And in a way, there's actually nothing inherently wrong with owning possessions or accomplishing great things. I praise our youths who work hard and dedicate so much time at school and all their efforts here at church as well. But the thing is, when we take this to the extreme, uh, we begin to see the harmful effects of a culture that puts just a little too much emphasis on individualism and materialism. It's easy to see ourselves comparing our worth to others. It's easy to fall into the rat race of earning more, uh, where the numbers of zeros in our bank account becomes an idol in itself, where we fall into a mindset that enough is never enough. And for me personally, the reason why this passage is so refreshing is that it shows us that there is actually a different way. You see, in this biblical picture in Acts, we, we see a glimpse of what life is actually like in heaven. And in this biblical picture, we see that this new kingdom is no longer ruled by selfish greed, but instead by selfless love. A love that spurs us to give generously to those around us. A love that we, uh, that, sorry, a love that was first demonstrated by Christ who generously gave his life and his blood for us. And so when we receive such a love from God, it makes us wonder, should we not show that same love to our brothers and sisters in such a same way? And every time I read this passage, I think about one of my favorite periods of my childhood. And this is when I actually lived uh, in Sheepshead Bay in a small one-bedroom apartment. And the reason why I'm so fond of this memory is that in this one tiny apartment, I would live with my grandpa, my grandma, my cousin, two of my aunts, and one of my uncles, including me. That's seven people in this one tiny apartment. And I remember all of us, we would be literally jam-packed into this one small bedroom. And I still remember we had beds stacked on top of each other and next to each other. But the thing was, we always shared everything. And my family was always incredibly generous with each other. Whenever a family member suffered, another one would always stand up and give generously. And this generosity is actually such a big part of our family culture and of our family values. Um, often during dinner time, when we do gather together, 
rather than talking about what we have accomplished, how much money we've made this year, uh, instead we would rather talk about our fond memories of when an uncle or an aunt lost their job or wasn't able to pay rent, and another, one, another uncle or aunt stepped up to provide. And we realized that there were never any strings attached because we were family. No one owed anyone anything because we always understood that the well-being of our family members was our first and most important priority. And such is the kingdom of God, right? True fellowship entails us serving one another, not because we have to, not because we're commanded to, not even because it's the right thing to do. True service is born out of a loving and generous heart. True service means saying no to the suffering we see around us and affirming the yes that is in Christ as we demonstrate radical love for each other. And such is true service. And when we embody true service, we touch and change the world around us to reflect the kingdom of God. When this happens, something changes, not, not only just within us, but also outside of us. Let's take a look at that for our last sermon point today. True obedience. Our passage today ends with Luke finishing his description of this new community by saying, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And from these short two verses, we actually see that Luke here is subtly referencing the great commandments given by Christ uh, that Maritza read earlier, where Christ says to us, right, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and second, to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's clear that as the believers engaged in true fellowship of devoting themselves to being discipled, to be generous to each other, a generosity born out of love, and to fellowship with God through prayer, they're able to praise God, as Scripture says, with glad and sincere hearts. As they witness their lives change when joining into this new community of believers and entering into this new kingdom of God, the commandment to love God was a natural consequence. Like young children whose love for their parents is so pure and genuine after receiving unconditional love from their parents, such is our love for God when we step into his kingdom and receive his sacrificial and unconditional love for us. And when we love God in such a way, we finally encounter what true obedience is. It is obedience born out of love rather than fear. It is obedience born out of desire rather than duty. We realize the truth of the message that we love because he first loved us. And when we realize this truth, we are able to break bread and give generously, not only to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to all those who are outside 
the gates of God's kingdom. As Christ freely gives to us, we freely give to those who are stranded in life, to those who are desperate to search for this narrow path and this small door that leads to life. Like the ushers who welcome us to church on Sundays and days prior, our love and our generosity welcome those who stand outside God's kingdom. And so brothers and sisters, I've been asked, what is my vision? What is my vision for the church? And hopefully today, your ears have heard, your imaginations have been stirred, and hopefully your hearts have been moved. My vision is God's vision, as shown to us today. It is a vision of a community born from God's love, a community devoted to discipling one another, a community that yearns to love one another in a deeply meaningful way a community that seeks to save those who are lost and demonstrates such extraordinary love that even non-believers must recognize that this love can only come from an all-powerful God. And such is my vision, and such is my mission. Such is our vision and mission as a single body of Christ. Let us come together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today in adoration of who you are and what you have done in our world. That though we live in the kingdom of darkness, you have lit up small beacons of light and love. Like fireflies in the cool summer night that dazzle and captivate us, such is your church and such is your body. Grant us, Lord, the ability to love you. Grant us, Lord, the ability to love each other Grant us, Lord, the courage and strength to be faithful to those around us as you have been faithful to us. And so we pray before you as your children and as your servants to let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and to let your word go forth from this church in Brooklyn to the ends of the earth. Amen.